worship and and, uh, explore God's Word together. Today we are starting the last chapter of Ephesians, chapter 6. And we have been journeying through the book of of Ephesians for the last five or six months. I think we started in March, and and we are just starting the last chapter now. I, I hope that you have been enjoying this series as much as I have. I have found that it has stretched my thinking about myself and how I relate to others and certainly how I relate to Jesus as well. And so I have been really enjoying this series. I hope and pray that that has been your experience as well. Starting next week, Pastor Sig will lead us through the next three Sundays. And then when we relaunch our Sunday ministries, when we have people on a regular basis gathered here on Sunday morning starting September 13th, uh, we're going to be start, I'm going to be starting a series on the armor of God as we, uh, as we continue our series on Ephesians. We're just going to, I'm just going to break it down a little bit further. And that's going to take us through the rest of the fall. And, uh, and so as we approach Christmas time, that's, we're going to coincide with the conclusion of the series on Ephesians. And so we're going to really make sure that we uh, understand and, and explore what Paul's trying to say here in this letter to the Ephesians. Today, though, as I said, we will be starting Ephesians 6. Before I start, I just want to say uh, one thing. I just want to express my excitement for our two new interns that we have, that we just started with, that are going to be starting with us here at the church uh, this coming Wednesday. Isaiah Montanez uh, will be helping with the, in the area of social media and, and really kind of elevating our online presence. We, one of our goals this fall is to, to start a, a streaming service for, for those people that may not be able to make it on Sunday mornings or it may not be convenient or comfortable yet to, to come to a public setting like church. And so we want to have a streaming service option available. And so uh, Isaiah is going to be quite instrumental in making that happen. Also, uh, Rachel Laser is going to be, uh, we've, we've, she's, on, she's joining us as an intern and developing kind of some, so, some service opportunities for us to engage our community in really practical ways. As we, as we continue to ask the question, how can we engage with Thorncliffe Greenview communities and express Christ's love in these ways? And so excited to have her enthusiasm and passion for the Lord and, to, and for service in these ways. And so pray for them. Pray for our church. This is an exciting time as we continue to uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us into uh, in, this, in this next season. Would you pray with me this morning, though? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to hear from you. And, and Lord, I pray that, that as I share that, that the words that come from my mouth would be from you and that anything that's, that's of me would, would fall on deaf ears and that, that, we, that that you, your Holy Spirit would fill in the gaps, that you would uh, move in a way that only you can, and we trust that you will, and, and pray that you would, um, that you would make, you, make yourself known to us in a deeper, more intimate, and personal way this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I said this morning, we are uh, diving into Paul's teachings to the Ephesians. This is chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Paul writes, Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, 
Do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their masters and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Well, over the last two decades or so, I've had the opportunity to engage in a variety of different conversations with teenagers. Teenagers who have often struggled with some of the concepts that we read about in this passage from Ephesians, where many of them have often felt the relational tension that happens when they disobey their parents. Teenagers quickly discover that disobedience often leads to problems for them. Shocking, I know. Yet other times, I've had other conversations with teenagers where they've wanted to obey their parents, but this idea of honoring them just seems really too much to ask. It just seems too difficult. It seems that they can meet the obligations of obedience to their parents, but they feel like the tension of honoring them is just too much to ask, especially when the parents are are unreasonable or, or overly demanding. I would also add that in the last 14 years, I personally have struggled with, struggled with how to adequately bring up my own children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as Paul has instructed the Ephesians to. And I can safely say that parenting is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, and that most of the time, I feel like I'm trying to figure out, on a, figure out what I'm doing on a minute-by-minute basis. But as a pastor who has worked with teenagers probably for what I would say probably is an above average length of time, I can safely say that the things that teenagers deal with today are entirely different than what I had to deal with as a teenager 25 years ago. For people my age, we are the last generation to remember what life was like before the internet. Young people today have access to worlds of information, They have access to perspectives and voices and worldviews that span across the globe. And all they need to do is download Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, and all of that information is, is, is accessible at their fingertips. In fact, just this past week, three days ago, at my flag football game, one of the guys on my team was telling me about one of his friends whose 10-year-old son had gotten a hold of his wife's phone and, 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 uh, and it snuck to his room and he was looking at pornography. 10 years old. And unfortunately, this type of story is more the norm than the oddity. And the amount of content and voices and input that young people experience on a second-by-second basis have created this tsunami of information that young people have to figure out, how do we process that? So how do they do that? How do they process all of the worldviews that they are faced with on a daily basis? How do they process all of the messages of identity and self-image? How do they know which messages are worth following and which ones aren't? Paul, though, in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 9, gives some instruction that I think is both helpful to parents as they try to navigate their kids through this, but also to help children as well. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with them promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as we are aware, that culturally for the people reading this letter from Paul in the first century, they would begin, as, the, as, we have, as we've discovered over the last number of months, that what Paul has been teaching here is, is, a, is a new teaching, is a new way of life, 
Paul is teaching a new ethic of living that looks very different than the life that the pagans in Ephesus were living. Unfortunately, most of the people hearing this letter for the first time would have grown up in this this pagan culture. So when Paul is instructing this new way of life, most of them are probably thinking, okay, great, but how? It's never been modeled before. They've never seen this type of love or this type of ethic lived out before. And although this passage, I think, was intended to be helpful for us and the church in Ephesus, it seems like this verse has sometimes been polarizing within families. Or maybe it's just mine. I I remember as a teenager, I would often hear my parents and other adults quote these passages and emphasize the importance importance that children need to honor and obey their parents. I mean, they'd even say it in the King James Version, which I think probably means that I I was supposed to take it more reverently. They would say, honor thy parents, and as if I was supposed to take it more seriously. And I remember being so annoyed with this command because because it just seems so one-sided. Like it didn't take my side of the story into consideration at all. It never took the kid's side into account ever. Like what happens when the parents are just being unreasonable? What happens when your parents say, you can only stay up till 10 instead of midnight? What happens when parents say you can only watch PG movies rather than the 14A ones? Like don't they know that's the threshold between good movies and the bad ones? What happens when your parents say you can only have one bowl of ice cream instead of the three that I wanted? How are kids supposed to deal with these unreasonable parents like the ones I had? But then I came across verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Or in some translations, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, as you know, I went camping a few weeks ago, and, uh, and one of the things that we thought we'd do is we have a fire every night, and, and as the fire would grow, uh, as the flame would go down, we'd, get, we'd have a fire stick, and we'd poke it to stoke the fire. That's kind, and, as, and as we poked the fire, the flames would begin to erupt again. That's kind of the idea that Paul is getting at here when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Don't agitate your children to the point where they, where they burst into flames, where they get upset, where they get agitated like a fire would. Don't continue to push and push, nag and just harp on them over and over and over again. Finally, as I read this passage, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Finally, as a teenager, I felt like I had some ammunition to fight back against the injustices of my parents and all of their oppressive rules. And so when I disobeyed and and I inevitably heard, Ryan, honor thy parents. Well, I immediately fired back. He says, oh yeah? Well, Paul says, don't make me angry. Shockingly, that never actually really helped my cause at all. In retrospect, that's probably not the intent that Paul had when he was giving this instruction, of course. And I suspect that it probably wasn't intended to be fuel for parents and children alike to, to draw battle lines and make accusations towards one another to defend their positions. So what is Paul getting at here? What does he mean when he says, children, obey your parents, honor them? What does he mean when he says, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger? Now last week, in last week's message, I introduced this idea of positional authority and relational authority. Positional authority is the authority someone has based on their structure and hierarchy within an organization or society. 
Corporately, for example, your boss has positional authority over you. Legally, the police have positional authority over many, most of us. Now, culturally, in the first century, the father was the head of the, of the positional authority within the rest of the household. So whatever the father said or required, it was expected that it, that it was fulfilled by the kids and the, the rest of the home. Paul, though, in this passage from verses 1 through 9, is really addressing the household and parent and families. He's addressing children and slaves. Now, I want to, I want to just add a caveat here for some clarity's sake. That when Paul is talking about slaves here, it's generally, generally talking about servants or people who are employed by a household to pay off their debt. For example, if you went into, if in the first century, if you went into deep, significant financial debt and you just were not able to pay it off, that you could actually sell yourself into slavery or servanthood to the person that you owed money to until that debt was fulfilled. So when we read this passage and we, we, we read the word slave, it's not necessarily talking about the same oppressive slavery that maybe most of us would associate with that word slavery. Now certainly in the first century, there was oppression that did occur from, on, on fairly regularly, but that I don't think is the, is the intent of what Paul is talking about here. In many ways, it's probably closer to an employer-employee relationship than it is to a slave-owner relationship. Paul, though, continues his message of leveling the hierarchy and cultural status that existed in the first century and begins to elevate the relational standard for fathers. And although I think in, this, in our context now, 21st century, I think we probably have the freedom to be able to broaden that word uh, fathers into fathers and mothers. That we can begin to broaden it to, to include uh, parents in, as a whole as well as begin to apply this to what employers are, are expected to treat their employees. But it's in this exhortation to, to parents and employers that Paul communicates that positional authority isn't enough. That as parents, that we actually need to have a healthy, God-honoring, Christ-centered relationship with our kids. That as employers, we need to have healthy, God-honoring relationships with our employees. Relational, relational authority is the authority someone has chosen, though, to give someone else in their own life. Where they are given authority in a person's life because of their character and how they act, and how they live, and how they relate to us. When you and I choose to give someone authority to speak into our lives, it is often the result of, because of, of, of who that person is. So as we do that, we honor their character. We honor their integrity. We honor their heart. And we say, We're, I'm allowing you because of, because of how you are, because of who you are to speak into my life. And Paul calls that type of decision honor. It's this idea of attributing value to someone for who they are instead of what they've accomplished. Honor is something that is given to someone because of their personhood and their character, not because they do or don't do something that we like or, don't do, or, or, or we don't like. So how do we honor, though, someone when their actions seem to reflect a person whose character and personhood isn't worthy of honor? That's a tough one, isn't it? What happens if you're in a working relationship or family relationship where the person who has positional authority, positional authority over you 
really has no interest in creating a space for healthy relationships with us. And for some of us, that has been our realities, hasn't it? Where we've been in situations, we've been in families where our parents have expressed no real interest in having healthy relationships with us. And I'm sorry that's been your experience. For some of us, this idea of honoring our parents or our employer is a pretty big request. In the same way that it was a pretty big request for the Jews and Gentiles earlier in Ephesians to be reconciled to each other. In the same way that earlier in Ephesians, the pagans were called to follow Jesus. In the same way that earlier in Ephesians, that we are all called to submit to one another. For some of us, this idea of honoring our parents might be the largest expression of denying ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And yet for others, this idea of honoring our parents seems actually fairly easy. It comes very naturally. It just seems like a very obvious thing to do because our parents have loved us well. Our employers are are kind, gentle, loving people. They treat us fairly. So honoring them, honoring our employers and our parents just seems really natural. But whatever your experience has been, Paul tells us here that we actually need to honor our parents. He doesn't give an age limit either. He says honor your parents. So how do we do that? What happens when we, when we hope when we have people when we when we have we hope people in authority over us, including our parents, sometimes is that sorry, let me try that again. What happens when we have people who are when we have people in authority over us? Is that sometimes is that sometimes what happens is we end up writing a narrative about people that they just have to have their lives all together. Sometimes what happens is we, we begin to look at people who have authority over us and say, well, they just, they can't make any mistakes. They obviously have no, we, they, they don't have any, 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 any issues. They don't have any problems. The truth is, is that even our parents and our employers make mistakes. Even our coworkers mess up. Even our spouses step out of line. Even our kids blow it. And we all have faults, regardless of where you are, regardless of who you are. We're all flawed in different ways. So again, we ask this question, how do we give honor to someone who doesn't deserve it? Well, one of the first ways we do that is to acknowledge that, that all of us, including the people who, have, who don't deserve to be honored, is that they are flawed, that all of us are flawed. And we can actually honor others by accepting their flaws and extending grace towards them in the midst of their shortcomings. Where we can actually look at our parents, we can look at our employer, we can look at the server at the restaurant, we can look at our spouse, we can look at our kids, and and we can say, I'm okay that you have flaws. But many of us, though, our flaws actually aren't a reflection, aren't necessarily a reflection of our hearts. But instead, it's actually a reflection of an ability or a skill set that we actually haven't learned yet. So again, in the Ephesians, they haven't had a chance to learn some of these skills that Paul is teaching. And so they have their own flaws, and and so they're they're going to need to learn how to do some of these things. And what we discover is that our flaws are not necessarily a problem with will, 
but it's a problem with skill. Sometimes people just don't have the skills they need to interact with each other in healthy ways. They haven't seen it modeled. They haven't learned how to do it yet. And so they have this limitation that exists. The reality is, though, is that our flaws impact others. And at some point, the people in our lives are going to make mistakes. They're going, that the people in our lives at some point are going to offend or even hurt us and actually potentially leave scars. A couple of months ago, I was having a fairly um, passionate conversation with my, uh, my eldest daughter, Abigail. And I would say it was, fairly, it, was a, it was a heated conversation. But in the middle of our argument, I said something to her that was incredibly hurtful to her. And it was the kind of statement that I made that, that, was, that was directed to her more in terms of, it described, it, I said something that was more um, of an accusation about her personhood and not really addressing her actions, but it was an attack on her character. And as I reflected on what I had said, and I, and I, and I could see the woundedness and how our relationship had changed over the next couple of days, so a couple of days later, I came to her after processing this and praying about it. And I came to her and I said, this is, this is basically what I said. I said, Abby, there are times in your life where you will get scars from the way people treat you because of what they've said to you. And sometimes it's going to be me. Sometimes it's going to be your mom. And that's not okay. It's not okay for you to be scarred by people. But what I said the other day, Abigail, is going to leave a scar. And I'm sorry. And I was wrong for what I said to you. I can hope that the scar may be a lesson because of my apology. But you need to know that who you are is so much more valuable, so much, more, so much larger than what I said you were. And I made a poor decision in my words and my anger, and I'm sorry. The truth is, is that often the people closest to us will hurt us. And it actually hurts the most because they are the closest to us. And at some point, the people in our lives are going to make mistakes. They are going to offend or even hurt you and leave scars like I'm sure that I did with my daughter Abigail. We are flawed. The people in our lives are flawed. It's, it's inevitable for us to be hurt by them. Unfortunately, though, people in authority feel like they can't necessarily communicate those flaws. They can't make those flaws known. They can't acknowledge them because suddenly they will lose credibility or that people will stop taking them seriously. So, so we need to live up to this unrealistic perception of perfection. Jesus, though, models for us an alternative to positional and relational authority who even though Jesus sat in a position of authority, actually postures himself in such a way that actually builds and establishes relationship with us. And then he teaches, but then also not only does he model this for us, but then he teaches you and I how to do it as well. And we see this passage in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, where Jesus says, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Be a servant of all? It seems so counterintuitive for anyone who is in position of authority. So how do we do that? I think there's four ways that we can do that. First one is this. Ask for help. 
The first step in building relational authority in people's lives and being a servant to all is simply to ask for help. And I think one of the struggles that many of us have, including myself, is this idea of saying, help, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe it's because of our insecurities or our fear or our arrogance. Maybe it's because we've been hurt when we've asked for help before and we've been laughed at or criticized. Whatever it is, though, many of us, I think, struggle with asking for help. Truth is, though, as I've said, we're all flawed, which means that we all need help. Even if you aren't in a position of authority, you need help. As the lead pastor, I need help which is why I'm so grateful for our elders and our deacons, for Tina and Maria, Frank Isler, who comes here every, every weekend to come and do the filming and the, and the sound for us to, since we've been doing this. He's been here every single weekend to help with these online services. I need people like that because I can't do it alone. When we ask for help, it actually helps to break down the perception that we have it all figured out. You and I were created to live our lives in community, surrounded, surrounded by people who can walk with us. That we're actually supposed to learn from one another in the context of being together, contributing and learning from everyone around us. When we ask for help, we actually begin to posture ourselves for growth, to identify our flaws and surround ourselves with people who, who can help us to overcome them, who can fill the gaps. This past week, I actually asked my, I was thinking about this sermon, so I actually asked my kids, guys, do I, what is one thing, I didn't want a list, I just want one thing, what is one thing that I do that really upsets you and makes you angry? And they're like, seriously? <laughs> and so they thought about it for a minute, and, and then one of them said, you know what I don't like? Is when you treat me inconsistently from the other two. You, you treat, when, you, when you say one thing, but you do let the other two get away with it. Okay, wow. Another one said, similar, when you, treat, when you treat me unfairly. And another one said, when I don't think you take my feelings seriously, when you dismiss them. Boy, what a hard exercise. What a hard exercise to allow someone to speak into your into your faults, into your, in your, into your flaws. But super, super helpful for me to allow my own kids to speak into my own flaws and reveal things about myself that I didn't know was hurting them. Which takes me to the next step that we can take to becoming a servant to all. Release control. If you look at the model of influence that Jesus held amongst the people around him, you will see quickly that he was constantly looking for opportunities for people to use their gifts and strengths. He was frequently trying to get out of the way so that people could experience the fullness of being used by God for, their, for his purpose. If we want to have relational authority in our workplaces, in our homes, in our church, we have to trust the people who are around us, especially our kids. When we place our trust in other people, the fruit of that is ownership and empowerment. And one of the most important ways to have relational authority is to look out for the interest of others ahead of our own. 
Now as a parent, I recognize that I have positional authority over my kids. Absolutely, God has, has given that. But here's the thing. What I want my kids more than anything else for them to, to discover is to discover Jesus personally. I want their faith to be their faith. Not mine, not Natalie's, not their youth leaders, but theirs. Releasing control becomes an exercise in faith as well. Where we actually trust that, that our kids, that our, that our co-workers, that our people in our lives, that they will actually share the same priorities that we do. And that as, as they do that, they will satisfy the expectations that God has for them too. That they will continue to walk in obedience when we aren't the ones pulling the strings. For our kids... We have to release control so that we, can, so that we can see that we have raised them well, that we have instructed them well, but eventually we have to release control. When we release control and don't need to micromanage every step, every step and action that our kids make, it gives, them, gives our kids permission to learn about their own flaws as well. It's no longer a safe place where mom and dad are, mom and dad are, are guarding and protecting them. But now they're beginning to discover their own flaws. You know, I mentioned that we have Rachel Laser and Isaiah Montanez joining us as, an in, as interns this fall. But when I, inter, when I interviewed them this past week, this is what I told them. I said, I hope that sometime this fall that you fail. I hope at some point over the fall that you fail. Here's why that's important. It's important that... that the, that, our, that our staff, that our families, that our kids, that our coworkers, it's important that people, that we all know how to fail well. It's important that we know that, that when we fail, that we are failing in a place of grace. That there is free, and that when we do that, there's freedom, and that there's a freedom in that so that they can see the value of their mistakes and learn from them and grow from their flaws. But when we create a space of grace, they will feel the freedom that comes from being in an environment and relationship that allows for mistakes to happen so that they can become growing opportunities. But that only happens when we let go and allow the mistakes to happen. Another way that we can have relational authority in people's lives happens when we actually give away honor. Paul tells kids in this passage that kids to honor your parents. But here's the thing, parents. One of the ways that we can be honored by our kids is when we can honor them first. When we can model to them what honoring them looks like. If you remember when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, and the first words we, we, we see recorded are from the Father. It says, this is my Son in Him who I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. His ministry hadn't yet started. Yet God's pleasure for His Son wasn't based on His actions. It was based on the fact that Jesus was God's Son. That, that He loved Him and honored Him for who He was, not what He had done. When we give away honor, we affirm the God-given abilities and strengths and uniquenesses in personhood. I remember about eight, nine years ago, 
Uh, and I, I was I was serving at a church, the church in Lethbridge I was at, and and uh, and I happened to overhear my lead pastor talking about me, and he was talking to someone in our congregation. And, and I heard my name, and so I kind of slowed down, like, okay, what's happening over here? And, and as he was talking, he started to, he, I, could, I overheard things like, I'm so encouraged by Ryan. I've, been, I've just been so blessed by how much he has grown over this last number of months. He is learning so much. He's just, there's just so much growth in him. And I remember walking away thinking, being so encouraged that his affirmation, that his honoring of me, what didn't just happen when we were face to face, but that he was actually honoring me when I wasn't around either. The amazing thing about honoring other people is that it's almost circular. Because as you elevate other people privately or publicly, that you are actually, you are actually also elevated as well. You see, when we give away honor though, we look beyond their actions and see others for who God created them to be and their inherent worth and value. Part of that recognition of God created them to be also includes, as I've mentioned before, their own flaws and limitations. And that's the last way that we can be a servant of all, is when you and I could admit our flaws. When we can actually recognize and acknowledge our own shortcomings and limitations. When we do that, it actually creates space for people to do the same. It actually fosters a space of grace. I remember about five years ago, I was watching late night TV and Jimmy Fallon was interviewing Donald Trump uh, just before Donald Trump was, was uh, voted in as president. And I remember Jimmy Fallon asked, he was just so astonished by the arrogance of Donald Trump. And he said, do you ever apologize for anything? And, and, and Donald Trump said, oh, when I make a mistake, I will. When we, have, when we actually have set the, created a healthy environment for all of our relationships, when, we, when there's a space for us to, to acknowledge our mistakes, that we actually begin to set the standard for the amount of grace that people can experience and live out around us. When we, when we are setting the standard for the amount of grace our families will experience, we can actually do that through the ways that we do that by, by admitting our own faults, our own flaws. Now, I shared earlier that, that I really hurt Abigail with a comment I made a few months ago. As a parent, we will all make mistakes. It is necessary and important, it is critical that your kids and the people in your lives know that you will too. And one of the ways that we, we address that is by apologizing, is by saying sorry, admitting that, that we've made a mistake. And, for, and admittedly, that is not easy for some people. But we simply say sorry for an attitude, for a decision, for something that we've done. Or we acknowledge our flaws and how those flaws might actually affect others is never but instead we express with a simple act of remorse and acknowledgement of our flaws. And when we do that, it actually brings a significant amount of healing to a wounded relationship. Ultimately, though, when we acknowledge our flaws, it reveals to others and reminds others that we are all in need of a Savior, that Jesus is constantly at work extending grace to us in the midst of our own personal flaws. Here's the bottom line, though. Whether you're a child, a parent, 
an employer, an employee. Whatever your role is positionally, your ability to, to follow people, your ability to be a servant to all will affect your ability to follow Jesus too. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 6, that we are all slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. The reality is, is that eventually God is going to ask us to do something that may be unconventional, uncomfortable, and maybe seemingly impossible. And we won't know if and we won't know if we, were able, if we will actually be able to do it or not. When we can obey and honor the people around us, though, especially those who are positionally above us, it makes it so much easier for us to obey and honor Jesus when he calls us into something that might stretch us beyond our flaws, beyond our control, and beyond our abilities. Ultimately, though, as we consider this concept of positional authority and relational authority within our families and our marriages and our workplaces, Paul reminds us of this, of this necessary reality for us, this necessary truth, that our true master and authority is Jesus Christ who leads us. He has, Jesus has ultimate positional and relational authority over us. But through His death and resurrection has rendered you and I equal to each other as we each submit ourselves to Him and give honor and praise to Jesus for His grace, mercy, and kindness. As we celebrate and as we worship His willingness to give Himself up to death so that we would know the fullness of His love. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for who You are. For the ways in which You continue to shape us, continue to make Yourself known to us. God, as we continue to ask this question, how can we be servants to all? How can we uh, manage our relational authority? How can we, how can we um, lead others and, and, and build relationships with others that, that point others towards you, Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in these four ways, to ask for help, to release control, to give away honor and to admit our flaws. And Lord, as, as we do these four things, that, that they would actually shape our families, they would shape our, our kids' lives, that we would model for our kids how to, how to do these things so that as they grow up, they could do that with our, for our grandkids. Lord, I pray that, that as in our workplaces that we would be able to do this as well, that we would actually be able to, to show a different way of, of work, work ethic, that, we, that, that as, as corporately it's such a different culture, Yet you call us to, to it. You call us to this. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk in these ways. To establish relational authority with the people around us so that, so that you would use us for your kingdom purposes, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.